Welcome to another episode of Speaking Duck. I'm your host, Alex Ross. In this episode, we sit down with Stephen Howell and his partner Haley Howell of the White Brick Kitchen. The restaurant is known for their iconic white brick exterior, hence their name, but even more for their beautiful patio brunches, their classic comfort food. We talk barbecue, sourcing menu items in Koreatown, and what it's like running a restaurant with your brother and wife. These up-and-comers are not really up-and-coming anymore. They're holding their own as they become a Toronto staple. You're listening to another episode of Speaking Duck on the Never Sleeps Network with Stephen and Haley Howell of the White Brick Kitchen. I'm here with Stephen Howell and Haley Franklin, soon to be Haley Howell. Yep. That's a great name. I know. Yeah. You lucked in. Is that, that's part of the, inter, uh, the interest, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Stephen and his brother, Matthew, operate and manage this kitchen together in the whole restaurant. As well as Haley. And Haley as yeah. well. Yeah. Okay, great. And so tell me a little bit about working with your brother and then working with your girlfriend, fiance, now soon to be wife. Uh, you know, family business, you know, in Toronto, that's kind of not so popular. There's not a lot of famous brothers and family. I mean, especially, you know, you guys look very young, you know, a young family kind of run establishment. And, and again, you're in a great neighborhood, the annex close by, Koreatown, Christie Pitts close by. You're kind of, uh, you know, the breadth of comfort food between, um, you know, the Mervish and the Koreatown. You know, where did you and your brother start out and how did you progress to uh, White Brick, I know you uh, were at the stockyards and, and you have connections to Jump and, and we're going to touch on that. We're going to talk barbecue, hopefully not for more than an hour because <laughs> that's exactly yeah. what I'm going to try yeah. to stray away from because I, all I want to do is talk about barbecue, but we're going to definitely touch on that. I want to know about your specials, what you guys, you know, what leads you to choose the ingredients you, you choose today and, and, you know, how did you get to the White Brick Kitchen? So let's start really basic, you and your brother, and then we'll bring in Haley and then we'll go from there. I, I guess I just it started with with schooling and and working in restaurants and I've always wanted to open a restaurant ever since I started, and my brother Matt he's three years younger than me so he he was always he took uh, the management side like the the uh, front of house side at schooling and stuff like that so he he had an interest in it but I don't know what what his what his eventual plan was but either way when I said I wanted to open a restaurant he was totally down to be involved and I was we were so lucky that he was because. For the first little while, it's always good to have someone who doesn't need to get paid. <laughs> so, so that was um, that was that. It wasn't much. It was, hey, I'm thinking about opening a restaurant. You want to be involved? And it was, yes, I do. So we we, we opened the restaurant, and and uh, I guess yeah, that, that's pretty much that from there. But you started in some of the popular Toronto restaurants leading oh, yeah. up to White Brick. So let's talk a little bit about Stockyards and Jump. Well, Stockyards. Stockyards was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. That restaurant is is it's fantastic. I love it. And going there, I, I knew that that was what I wanted to do one day, but I didn't know how to do it. So I needed to work somewhere that knew how to do it. And that's why I that's what what was my inspiration to go there. And Tom Tom uh, Davis, he's the owner there. He taught me everything. He he was he was fantastic. He's a great chef. He hates being referred to as a chef, but he is. You're gonna He's have great. to ask him to come onto the show. 
so we can do a whole barbecue <laughs> one and a half hour special. I'll mention it to him next time I see him. <laughs> but yeah, he's 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 fantastic. What did he teach you? He taught me basics of curing and like bacon producing, sausage producing, that kind of stuff. But he also taught me how to look at ideas and recipes and ingredients and think about nostalgia. He was very big on nostalgia. He liked to pick dishes that weren't in favor necessarily and make them fun and make them a little bit different and bring them back so people really and people really appreciate that because everyone wants something they ate when they were a kid. And that's something I learned from him and I've been working on. That's basically our whole inspiration for our restaurant. The White Brick would be very different without Tom Davis. So I started with the brunch at uh, White Brick Kitchen. I'm not a brunch guy. More and more when I do brunch in Toronto, I really want to try things that are exciting, interesting, not run-of-the-mill, because if I can make it at home, chances are I'm not going out to consume it. Yeah, absolutely. What I liked about your brunch, you're using very interesting ingredients and flavors you're, you're picking and choosing you're, you're keeping a lot of the staples the same thing what i liked about mine uh my my eggs benedict to be uh particular was the sausage you use sausage yeah and sausages is, is kind of one of those things that are getting bigger and bigger and trying to go through waves you know when um we're just down the street from verse and i think when verse came out people had an idea that sausage is not not easy to come by and and kind of an exotic fruit in a lot of ways, but it's not. You know, um, I've mentioned before, we've had sausagely champions on this show. Jesse Valens from The Sane, he is a huge sausage guy, and I'm a huge sausage lover. And that's what drew me to the Benedict. I wasn't interested in like a P-mail or a spinach Florentine. Like, I don't like any of that stuff. That stuff is bland. Sausage is, I get to feel what you're doing, right? I'm assuming you made that sausage in-house. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like, I mean, it goes without saying it tasted like that. What I really liked about it, it wasn't overpowering. It was very mild, not in necessarily a spice kind of way, but it didn't control the dish. I, I tasted everything and I was like going back for the sausage to kind of regroup, you know, as, as <laughs> yeah. they say. So I went to White Brick Kitchen recently for the brunch menu because I hear that it's kind of, you know, you guys have a beautiful patio. Your inside is really clean, and, and I like how basic and, and black and white it is. It's, I mean, obviously, White Brick Kitchen lends the <laughs> yeah. name to that kind of uh, aesthetic. How did you find that location? Obviously, White Brick, you didn't put the White Brick outside of it. it, kind, it kind <laughs> no. of, you know, you're, you lucked out with a name. A name is kind of one of the hardest things to, to do in Toronto as far as what's to stick out. So tell me a little bit about that, and then we're going to dig deep. Sounds good. So... Looking for locations, we spent about a year. We were developing menus and looking for locations simultaneously, and it took about a year. We looked at about 30 places, and uh, I saw that place. on. It was on the internet, and we checked it out, and we went back three times, and that was the place. It was perfect. It was Bloor Street. Koreatown was super cool. It's got a big, big patio. That's a good-sized patio for Toronto, and the rent was good, too, so that, that doesn't hurt. But um, Hopefully your landlord's not listening right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think so. Um, so yeah, and we just, we were drawn towards it. So we just chose that location and, uh, we got the business license. We got the permits, we got everything. Uh, we were operating under like some obscure, like number name. And, uh, a few weeks in we're like, okay, now, now we need a name because it kind of happened fast. Right. So we just decided that, uh, it should be literal. It should be very, uh, speak for itself, just like all our food. So the white brick kitchen, and if you haven't seen the building, you don't know what it is. But as soon as you see that building, you know that's the White Brick Kitchen. That's why. I'll tell you that much. Barbecue in Toronto and in Canada is a very... 
it's a soft spot. Mm-hmm. It, there's not a lot of really strong hitters in the barbecue market. I mean, maybe Absolutely. in the smaller towns, you might get lucky because the lifestyle kind of, you can afford a low rent, you can kind of have a 24-hour smokehouse, you don't have to work at, worry about vandalism or, you know, Absolutely. people coming in, you know, stealing your stuff, stealing your ideas, stealing your ingredients. In Toronto, you know, you try to shove a smoke house atmosphere in a 10 by 10 restaurant it just doesn't make sense some do it some do it better than others some do it and i surprised they're still around uh stockyards actually is higher up on my list of some of the better barbecue in toronto i wish they weren't so midtown i wish they were closer but it makes <laughs> sense they have to go you know where the rent is cheaper where they can have the space they're they're next to a, you know a, they're next to a lot of really nice neighborhoods that can really uh, keep that place afloat it's not easy to run that kind of ship in the winter time, you know, like winter in Toronto is is a tough sell to begin with. And you're not really craving, you know, you, the first thing you don't think of, I mean, I do, but the first thing you don't think of in the wintertime is barbecue ribs, you know, you, you think of you think of burgers and that kind of stuff and, you know, outside and, and it's one of those kind of outdoor hot summer kind of summer um, comfort foods. So it's interesting because Stockyard's been around for at least five years. I think he's going on six years. This is yeah. his sixth or seventh year. Which in itself is tough Absolutely. to last in Toronto, Absolutely. let alone be barbecue. Um, I've eaten there a couple times. I have yet to have the burger. I hear the burger's fantastic. I've had the fried chicken, which I liked, and I had the pulled pork, which I was just on the fence about. I have to go back and have the brisket and the burger. Um, a couple things that... that Toronto and Ontario and Canada does that that would like turn heads in the barbecue belt in the states. Mm-hmm. Um, just one thing that uh, that Stockyard says that I'm kind of on the fence about is like, don't charge me extra for sauce. Yeah, I can understand that. Sauce needs to come out of my pores. Like it needs to like, <laughs> like I need to, I need to know that the sauce is like coming from a fountain. Like I'm gonna have a wedding one day, and my bride is gonna have to understand that I want a barbecue sauce fountain, none of this chocolate <laughs> fountain. See, and I'm gonna give you some ideas, Haley, for your wedding. Um, none of this chocolate or, or whatever. I want like you know you're dipping like barbecue rib tips into a barbecue <laughs> sauce fountain that's happening so other than that the food is really good it, you know it travels pretty decently to the parks nearby and, and it's a great atmosphere it, you can really tell that a restaurant like that is is going to lend a lot of really nice tips to your restaurant you know necessarily um a barbecue joint but you have a lot of interesting barbecue flavors and and you know you do a, a speckle or sorry uh um What's a when you take all the gr- the grinds from the pork and oh, a scrapple? You, a scrapple, scrapple. You do a scrapple. You do sausage. Like you do a lot of um, you know barbecue style things to add to like you know your breakfast, or your brunch, your, your dinner stuff. You do fried chicken. You know these are very southern comfort white people food as we like to talk about in in uh, in Toronto. Um, that's a very big seller for a lot of people. But no one's f- frying chicken in their homes. You know what I yeah, mean? Like anymore. no one's yeah. No, well, not even anymore. It's like how often are we frying stuff without an industrial kitchen to clean up afterwards or you know it's tough so it's it's nice to see that you've evolved your your background into what makes your flavors in, in the white brick and you could tell i mean you know your your place is not just a nice patio and, and a clean interior it, it's a lot of thought that goes into your food so i want to know a little bit more and maybe Haley, you can help me out what what are you doing at the restaurant how are you guys developing your flavor profiles you know what what are the biggest hits why are they the biggest hits to you 
I'm the sous chef slash pastry chef slash 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 slash. Um, I Many probably hats. yeah, I probably served some of you at some point. Um, <laughs> but basically, I am Stephen's right hand man uh, when it comes to everything. You know, we come up with these dishes. A lot of the time, Stephen says, you know, I want to do something with this ingredient. And just recently, maybe a few months ago, uh, we decided to have this like special uh, hot sauce for our chicken. And he was like, let's do something that reflects where we are in Toronto. Let's do something Korean. And it wow. was like, okay, let's figure this out. So he went over to the Korean supermarket and brought back you know, like very Korean types of sauces. And we're like, okay, let's figure this out. And, you know, he printed one off the internet and tried it. And we're like, well, that's really disgusting. (laughs) And that will never see the light of day. And I was like, you know what, give me a few minutes. And that's kind of how we work. Steven's very much the like, let's look at a recipe, not even necessarily reading how it's done, but what are the ingredients that go into it? And then he'll go from there where I'm more like, let me just put it all together and see what happens. You know, I know that, you know, Asian flavors are sweet and sour, salty, spicy. How can I get all these in? And I, I literally just put everything that I thought should be in a Korean barbecue sauce into the RoboCoop and blended it. And that was it. Like, it was one try yeah. Done. <laughs> Did it start with like a chili paste, red uh, chili paste? Yeah, we, we started with like a gojujang and we added some more spice to it and some ginger and garlic and, you know, it just Cook it down? Up. No, it's like straight up just... Straight up, cool. Yeah. yeah. That's great. I mean, you have these Korean flavors just next door to you guys. Yeah. Might as well take advantage of what's in a giant grocery store that... I, I, I shop... It's called the Pat for, for those who are listening. Um, the Pat is like, if you ever want to not necessarily go to a Korean restaurant one evening, which we all probably frequent a little too often because it's just so accessible, cheap, open yeah. late. The Pad is a great place to kind of experiment with your own Korean cooking. And they, they do a lot of pre-made stuff and their cuts of beef are really good. And yeah, I mean, it's a little uh, unassuming, yeah. that place. But it's, it's, a, it's a great addition to the neighborhood. You know, even the produce in the Korean corner stores, that uh, fruit and vegetable market, like, like literally across the street on the kitty corner from Pad is some of the best produce in the city. That's where we go. That's exactly where we go (laughs) to get all of our produce, yeah. So it's good that you're using everything right in front of you. I mean, clearly your menus aren't overcomplicated, which is exactly what I'm looking for as a diner. You know, you keep your flavor base simple, use what's around. Uh, I'm assuming everything changes seasonally. There's some staples, but we like to change things up. So let's talk about the staples. So staples, uh, fried chicken staple. Whose recipe? Uh, it's actually my recipe. It's 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 a recipe that I developed uh, while we were looking for <laughs> a location to work at, and it's it's inspired by Tom's uh, at, at the stockyards, but it's got a few tweaks to it that make it my own. What are some of the other staples? Uh, so mac and cheese, mac and cheese, definitely. Hands down, everyone loves that mac and cheese. It's I would eat it every day yeah. if I didn't if I was. You know, not going to get married. So. <laughs> it was like not going to fit into a dress. It was not going to fit into a dress. Months. I would be. When's the wedding day? Uh, October sixteen. Are you guys going to have some sort of you know play off your business? You know, some no. sort of catering aspect? Or is that too much work? You know what we thought about it. We thought, well, you know what? Let's just let's just get married and let's let's be able to get married. Right. <laughs> yeah. Not worry about not what everybody to, yeah. thinks about the food and yeah. everything. Yeah. That's kind of smart, right? Yeah. Why overcomplicate that stuff? Yeah. And plus, you know, wedding food. It's always like, yeah, it's always fine yeah so yeah like i like 
I love food, but at the end of the day, like I'm not gonna kill myself over making sure that it's perfect. Well, yeah. what's your background, Haley? Uh, Steve and I took the same course. That's actually how we met at George Brown. At George yeah. Brown. But right out of culinary school, um, I got a job as one of the assistant pastry chefs at the Drake Hotel. Okay. Um, so I worked there for a while. And then I went over to school, bakery and cafe, right down in Liberty Village, where I was the um, pastry chef there. Then kind of bumped around a bit after that, uh, ended up working at For the Love of Cake down in Liberty Village, learning kind of that aspect of, of pastry, like cake decorating and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, halfway through that, Stephen's like, we're opening a restaurant. <laughs> I'm like, okay, let's do it. So worked there actually for the first like six months almost that yeah. we were open. So I was working two jobs at that wow. point, working there during the day, coming over, working at White Brick at night. And then weekends, weekends for brunch. All that. Uh, you know, one day Stephen phoned me and said, I don't think the patio was open at this time. And he was like, we filled the restaurant in 15 minutes. You need to quit your job. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was it was literally just him in the kitchen, Matt on the floor, and his mom in the dish pit <laughs> at that point. And all of a sudden, it was like, you need we need you. That was a real time. family business. Mom's like it was, in there it was too. a real. You know, Stephen's dad worked weekends oh, yeah. in the Holy dish pit. Sailed us out big time. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, but the, they're also supporting you because they believed in you. Absolutely, yeah. that's great. Yeah. So Matt uh, is younger. Yeah. By three years, and he also went to George Brown. Went to George Brown for yeah. what? Uh, I think it, hotel was, and restaurant management. Yeah. Right. So yeah. So that's a like a paired. Uh, you you know some of the people that go to that school can actually do both, and you can do like a double yeah. like kind of diploma there. Now, do you think that you know George Brown was a stepping stone, you know, for you and other chefs in Toronto these days? I know it's re- they've really upped their game over the last kind of ten years or so. We we were like the last class of the old. Um, style, yeah. the old style like as soon as we left they started renovating and we we're like well we missed it by like a year a year so matt got into that like the really high-end what they're doing now we were still at siegfried's you know the carpeted restaurant and whatnot <laughs> um yeah. so i think it is like i never would have been able to get a job at the drake without them because yeah. i did my externship there and from there they were like wow you're you know you don't suck so we should hire you um yeah, their pastry program seems to be really interesting yeah it was a lot of fun it was you know, the hardest job I've ever had. There's never enough pastry chefs. There's never enough. Absolutely. Yeah. Never enough pastry chefs. And That's and true. I and I think, you know, Toronto, whether they like to admit it or not, loves their carbs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So Absolutely. I think that's almost an afterthought when restaurants are opening. They don't think of, you know, homemade bread, biscuits, pastries, dessert, yeah. you know, yeah. like pastry does include like cheesecake and, you know, you know, if you get Italian panna cottas and stuff like this, like you really start getting into uh, adding a lot of breadcrumbs and cookies and, and biscotti and, you know, all yeah. this stuff that most chefs... That's usually their weakest point. Absolutely. It's my weakest, yeah, for sure. So talk about a little bit about White Brick's um, pastry menu. What are you, like, super proud of? I remember having really good biscuits there, and, yeah. and I'm a bit, big biscuit snob. I mean, biscuits in the sense that it really worked with uh, the Benny that I had. Yeah, uh, I make uh, all the English muffins for the Benny. Um, I make all the biscuits for, like, the fried chicken and the shepherd's pie. Our pastry menu, like our dessert menu right now, is small because I just don't have as much time as I'd love to, you know, with all the other things that I have to do, you know. The you, savory menu kind of takes control a lot of the time. Do you prefer the biscuit or the English muffin with your bennies? 
What's like recommended? Because you could swap them if I remember correctly. Uh, no, we don't offer the swap on that one. Oh, you don't offer no. the swap. No. So I had the English muffin. Yeah, you had the English muffin. On the, okay. Yeah. So Haley, you mentioned that you're doing a lot of different things. Yeah. You're wearing a lot of different hats. What's your least favorite thing to do? So we can make sure Stephen changes your workload while we have <laughs> him here. And, uh, you know, you're doing this. School is, a, is an awesome Liberty Village spot. I mean, for the location and what they're putting out. You're coming into, you know, a restaurant that, that pastry is one of those things is like an ass- accent, yeah. you know, like especially in White Brick. So what what are your claims to fame there that if we didn't discuss this right now, nobody would be giving you the the proper claim uh the biscuits that go along with the fried chicken Um, what makes a good biscuit it's got to be like light but dense enough that you could totally make a sandwich out of it because if it's not going to hold up then you might as well be drinking water i love them our servers are like they go bananas for them whenever they can get one things that i don't like if you could find somebody else to poach sausages that would be fabulous (laughs) and on the dessert menu uh the sticky toffee pudding you know, Stephen would be a million pounds if he wasn't trying to fit into a suit. So, That's true. <laughs> banana bread too. Banana bread is one of my oh, favorite. Oh, banana things, bread is your favorite, which is thing. on our brunch menu. Do French toast out of it. Let's talk a little bit more about the sticky toffee pudding, which is an English dessert, which is not very much. You don't see it a lot in Toronto. So, pudding in the English sense isn't pudding in the American sense. It is cake, um, which a lot of people don't realize. Um, and we soak ours in uh, brown butter caramel. Wow. Uh, and then it gets served along with Hewitt's Dairy Ice Cream, which is out just past Hamilton where I grew up. Stephen loves it. I think everybody loves it probably as much as he does. Sticky toffee? Yeah, the yeah, sticky toffee. It's the best. Yeah, it's sweet and hot and yeah. delicious. Sticky date cake, basically. Yeah. How do you decide on the changes to your menus, on your specials? How do you keep up with the current trends? How do you stay, you know, White Brick, I feel like they already have, you have such a customer base already. People are coming, you know, partly because of location, but because it's consistent. They're coming, they know what they're going to get. How do you get the new people in? How do you keep the old people interested in your specials? Like we talked a little bit about Scrapple. I've seen on your menus previously uh, beef bacon and and stuff like this. Because this is our biggest draw. People want to be able to have the same thing, and they want it to be the same every time. There's a lot of people like that. And we do cater to them, and we make sure that things are the same every single time. But then the other hand, people who are, don't want the same thing every time, we do the specials, like you said. And our specials are inspired by a, a myriad of things. Sometimes it's just flipping through Instagram, and you see something that's like, that looks delicious. That's an idea. And then you start thinking of how to, how to come up with that. But also... TV and uh, magazines, especially magazines. Flip through magazines, you see pictures that you know. If I've seen that picture, other people who have seen that picture, and they want they want that, but they don't know where to get it and they don't know where to buy it. So I make things like that. So all forms of media are inspiration for me, and uh, just current things as well. I try to stay away from things that are like on the Food Network that are like super current because they're kind of dated when they're on the Food Network. They're maybe a year behind. So that's where we get our ideas for our specials and. Um, just also, what other people are doing? What are other restaurants doing that uh, people are enjoying? And you get because uh, everyone gets inspiration from other restaurants. It's, yeah, what are your, some of your favorite restaurants? Favorite restaurants? Okay, uh, well, my favorite restaurant, hands down, uh, Oyster Boy. <laughs> I, have to, I have to be careful going to Oyster Boy because the, the bill creeps up on you. But it's um, that's my favorite restaurant, hands down. Just and the freshness of the seafood there, just, you simplicity. Know you know what I love? I, I love that I can go and get a couple dozen oysters, but I can also get something that's got too many French fries to finish, and that's hard <laughs> to get. So it's like 
I'm full off of French fries, but I can still eat oysters. You know, sometimes you go and you get oysters, and you're like, okay, well, you know, there was three dozen oysters, and I'm still hungry. But Oyster Boy and all their all their stuff is is fantastic every time, and they and they're pretty consistent too. So I can get the same thing there, pretty much every time. And so. you, Haley? It's tough. I'm actually allergic to eggs. You know, my you know array of places that I go are a lot smaller than Stevens. And when I go and get something, it's like, oh, don't put like the delicious sauce that I know that you want to put on it. So I would actually, I'd have to go with Steven as well on Oyster Boy because oysters, egg-free, delicious. <laughs> um, always consistent, always great. Every time I've gone there, they've been more than happy to accommodate whatever I'm ordering might have eggs on it. They're more than happy to accommodate. Two points for Oyster Boy. Yeah. It's a good place. Very good place. Having allergies to something that you bake with, yeah, is Stephen your taste tester? Yeah. It's a tough uh, job. He is. It's, it's tough, tough job. Yeah, uh, he is. But how do you how do you go on somebody else's opinion to know if what you've done is right? Sometimes I can just look at the recipe and say that's not going to work. It's just not a good recipe, or I know that that's not how I would do it. I also trust him to the moon and back on telling me like that sucked. I would do it this way, and. At the end of the day, he's he's the boss, so if he doesn't like the way that it's done, I'm going to change it so that it fits his taste. When did your allergy to eggs develop? Like for, like early on? Like, uh, have you always yeah, been I've, allergic? I've always been allergic. Um, up until about three years ago, I could eat baked goods. And then we went out for lunch one day, and I was like, I think I have the flu. And I realized that it was because I had eaten a challah. Yeah. Right. And it was like all of a sudden That's the I bread of my people. Yeah. I, all of a sudden I couldn't eat anything that had an egg in it. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Because you're putting out beautiful Benedicts and it probably looks really good. Yeah. yeah. I can eat duck eggs. Um uh, Interesting. Because they're two different species. Come so on. I or ostrich eat... eggs or or whatever. Yeah, because they're, you know, it's like um a goldfish is a fish and a shark is a fish, but they're you'd never say that right. they're the same thing. Thankfully, Pat Central has duck eggs, Whoa, so perfect. I, I will go there and, you know, if I'm making a cake for something that we're going to, I'll use duck eggs and then I'll eat the whole thing. And can you taste the difference? No, there's, the, egg, duck eggs are like, definitely, the yolks are huge. They're so rich. Wow. So it's like eating a chicken egg on steroids. If you haven't had them, you should definitely go get them because they're like, yeah, they're are they more amazing. expensive? They are. Yeah, they're like way more expensive. 350 for six, but I mean... I mean, if you can, it's the difference between eating it and not and eating not it. And not eating yeah, exactly. it, right? And I've tried a lot of egg-free recipes, and I'm like, well, this is garbage. Have you made... Uh, <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Have you made uh, your staff, um, your team, uh, cook hollandaise and eggs benedict for you using duck eggs? No, you ever I've gone never... gone the extreme? I've never gone the extreme. Pro- I've never liked hollandaise, probably because it was always like, oh, eat this, and then you feel like garbage. Right. Um, <laughs> maybe one day. Maybe I'll ask Stephen to make me that. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I'm surprised that hasn't happened yet. No, I'm just... I'm, I'm not into it. Like, it's like, oh, it's so expensive for my, like, why one dish? I'm just going to be. So I want to break down a couple other things in your restaurant. I also want to talk, touch about uh, Jump. Absolutely. Because that's uh, one of those more prolific restaurants in the city these days. Mm-hmm. What's more fun? Cooking brunch? Cooking dinner serving? Ooh, um, dinner. I'd say dinner's more fun. The brunch, our brunch menu is small. So therefore, it's a lot, it's a lot of the same thing over and over again. And uh, it's, it's very simple. So it's, it's just from nine till four, go as fast as you can. <laughs> right. Cook everything as fast as you can and get it out. And that's what brunch is. And I mean, there's some fun stuff and the specials are fun. Dinner is where it's more, it's way more fun because it's a lot more pace. No one's in a huge hurry. 
And at the same time, there's not a lineup around the block. <laughs> so, you know, you, you don't have to rush. When I went for brunch, there was a bit of a lineup, but we got there early enough that the lineup started building behind us and everyone had to be on the patio. You know, it was a beautiful day. And I was watching your kitchen because right when you walk into the front door, you're, you're literally right into the kitchen. You're, you're looking over and I, and I just stared and, and observed and I'm watching how you toast these giant kind of half baguettes and you're painting them with uh, butter brushes yeah. and you guys are keeping things very fast and quick and very innovative. I really like that. Thank you. And you're, and you're, you're serving stuff that you feel full, not over full and, and you don't, you're never definitely like, oh, I can't finish this but you know i I think it's it's a tough uh, balance between you know quality and quantity Mm -hmm. when it comes to brunch a lot of places are like well we'll give them everything we can charge 15 you know plus dollars for that or you know people are like really under feeding a lot of places a to to keep speed up because it's it's hard to keep turnaround but you know if i'm spending around 20 dollars, i expect coffee at least a couple times you know my benedict to come with at least salad potatoes both you know a good combination or a really hearty kind of gluteny bread to go mm-hmm. with it or or an option to have gluten-free obviously do you guys do any gluten-free stuff no no pretty much uh, we do a few mains that are gluten-free but on the dinner menu. They're on yeah. the dinner menu. But at brunch, honestly, it's a big expense. And there's a lot of people who are gluten-free. And it's unfortunate. I feel sorry for them. But it's just not something we can always accommodate. No, and you guys are good. I, I We had somebody at our table and you gave them tomato slices and avocado. I mean, it's not like they're not used to that. It's kind of expected that they're either going to have something and, you know, you're going to charge a little bit extra for it. Or they'll be able to swap something out for something less painful, <laughs> yeah. for the lack of a better term. So let's talk about dinner service. Um, what are the staples in dinner? You know, what's always on the menu? What's changing? So I think we talked earlier about fried chicken, mac and cheese, always on the menu, never going anywhere. <laughs> uh, our burgers are never going anywhere. Uh, we have shepherd's pie. That's really popular. I've always wanted to, to change it up, but every time I think about it, it just keeps selling. <laughs> it like It's like it knows I want to get rid of it and it sells more. So that's, that's a... St- Which is weird. Shepherd's pie is not always a hit. No, no, and it's no. a big hit like mid July. Honestly, when I when we, the first year we did it, I went, "All right, well now that it's June, I better think about replacing this." And it didn't slow down. It kept selling. I'm like it's thirty five degrees outside. How are you eating shepherd's pie? And they order it and they love it. So What's I, in it? So it's beef. So it's not technically shepherd's pie, but growing up, that's how that was our shepherd's pie in our my family, my mom and my grandmother. Always beef in your shepherd's pie. It's also pie. easier. You know what? It's more and you and know cheaper. It's it's. We're going to, yeah, yeah beef's bad. I, like, I prefer beef over lamb. Yeah, yeah, and it's more popular in North America, so beef it is. Uh, and what we do is we do brisket, and we braise it. We braise our brisket, we cut it up into stew-like pieces, and we also make a sauce with ground beef, so it's like, you don't just get like a ground beef shepherd's pie, you get ground beef with nice big meaty chunks of braised brisket in it as well. And then buttermilk mash and cheese and a biscuit. What herbs are you using in your shepherd's pie? There's not a lot of herbs. There's, when we braise the beef, there's uh, there's some thyme in there, but that's Perfect. pretty much it. That's pretty much the staple for yeah. any good shepherd's pie. And yeah. how do you uh, do you pipe the the mashed potatoes? No, no, we just, just kind of right on top, it. throw it in the salamander. Amazing. Yeah. So simple. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you dictate what the specials are going to be every week, every month? What's fresh? Uh, do you ever put something on last minute? Oh, absolutely. Sometimes it's it's. <laughs> Friday night, and we go, ah, oh, we need a Sunday special. What are we doing? And you know what? A lot of times we go over, the, like, once again, the Korean supermarket and check it out, and we'll see what they got there. Sometimes they got good vegetables, good protein, and sometimes it's just, um, you know, we, we got 
a box of pork butts and we only needed four for sausage. So we have two extra. So we'll smoke them and do something with pulled pork. So it's, it's really about using what we have and, uh, seeing what, what's, what, what looks good and, and also what we think people would want to eat. So now let's touch back a little bit about your history with jump. Yeah. Can you tell us about that restaurant experience, what you were doing there? Who did you learn under? I started there in school. So that was like my externship from school. So, uh, it, it was good. And it was a seven week externship. And I'm like, Oh, this isn't so bad. It's a little, aggressive and then and when my the externship ended and i started getting paychecks that's when it really happened uh so i, I worked there for a couple of years and it, it was it's a great it's a great place and it's a very fast learning environment there's it's not i think they do about like 400 people at lunch uh, in the summertime it's ridiculous so you have to be fast so that's where i learned about speed and efficiency and they are the kings of efficiency pre-portioned pre-organized everything's ready to go they're great like that. I learned under a few people. Uh, uh, the sous chefs when I was there were Chris Wiseman, who actually has a place now. It's um, Big House Pizzas down on the Danforth. Good pizza. Very good pizza. Okay. Uh, and then the other gentleman was uh, Stephen Pinn, and he's out in the East Coast right now. I'm not sure what he's doing right now, but he's got a restaurant. Out there. He was actually in that Toronto Cook's book for Bannock okay. a little while ago. Anyway, both great guys. Both very nice. And the chef there was Filippo Mancuso. And, and I, you know, when I think when you get into a big... A restaurant like that, someone like me who's just, you know, I've been working there for a few weeks, never really interacts with the chef. So I didn't really interact with them too much. It was basically the two sous chefs. So they, they taught me a lot there because I was right out of culinary school. I didn't know anything. So they were both very big on, on teaching there. So where do you see uh, the white brick kitchen in a few years? What's the next move? Do you, do you plan on just kind of plucking at it? Until you find that you need to evolve? Do you have plans? I think that planning on evolving isn't a thing you can do. You don't plan on it. It, it, You just have to have it constantly be happening. Because, like my dad always told me, you're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. You're never staying still. It's not possible. So the idea is to always be moving forward and always evolving. And that's why it took us a couple of years, but we're starting to introduce some Asian flavors into our food, you know, and it's our neighborhood. So... It's always a good idea to keep moving a little bit and see what people see what works and see what doesn't work. Because, you know, you don't want to go down the road and two years from now you're like, okay, we gotta make a big change and then everyone hates it. At least if you go slowly, you can see how the change is taking and how people are enjoying it. So Did you ever have a, a dish that you put out there that wasn't successful? And oh. you found out why. You Probably. Know, I know, you know that was very modest. We did. Um we had a, a sweet dish on the brunch menu at one point. It was a breakfast custard. Okay, so let me let me tell you about breakfast custard. And I am still upset about breakfast custard. So what it was, it was it was like a creme brulee minus the the, the brulee part. So beautiful custard. Haley makes the best custard, and I'm glad I'm kind of glad she doesn't make anymore. I'd be a thousand pounds. But it's like cinnamon and oh, it's beautiful. And then like a berry compote, not too sweet, and cr- and granola on top, like super brown sugary granola. And I love that dish. And nobody would order the stupid thing, and it made me mental. And it, and you know what? We we ran it for we brought it back like three times. I'm like, no, this time it's gonna take. It's gonna take, and it never took. And I've been so upset about it. <laughs> Every once in a while, we get, do you have that custard? We're like, no, we don't have the custard. You were the <laughs> you only didn't one order it enough times. <laughs> yeah, so. I think we had it. Yeah, three times, and I think we've only ever sold one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. It just didn't sell, and it was so. It was like that. 
that like hidden gem on the menu that's like if you ordered this you'd be obsessed but nobody ever did it we even changed the sizing and the pricing to be like maybe it was too big we'll make it smaller and cheaper still didn't sell (laughs) so did you have to like give any away at that point Uh, that was a big staff meal (laughs) i'll tell you that much (laughs) a lot of a lot of custard yeah a lot Mm -hmm. of custard so Haley, let, let's touch back on, on your background and, and where you learned from getting out some experience. What was school like? I mean, school's only been around for a few years now in Liberty yeah. Village. I was like in the first, uh, I came in right when they had just opened. So they're very, very new. So their pastry wasn't quite as big as it is now. And it was a big learning experience for everyone that was in there because it was a brand new restaurant. And, and they're successful. They're, yeah. they're packing that place every yeah. weekend. And, you and know the what? lunch hour for all the offices in that area. And they were doing it, uh, you know, when we first opened too, and we were not ready. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, having having the kind of experience to say when we were going to open White Brick to say, you know, I've kind of already seen this happen when I was at school you know, when is it busy? When is it slow? You know, what should we be doing? And it was, uh, it taught me a lot of what I shouldn't do. And, you know, how you shouldn't, how you should do things and how you shouldn't do things. And let's touch on that. Because you guys are, you know, I wouldn't say fresh by any means, but you guys are growing within this industry. You've worked at successful places. Now you have your own successful place. But again, it's only been around for three years, three years. Yeah. When you go to other restaurants, what are they, we don't have to name names, but what are they doing differently that you're like, oh, we would never try that? Or, you know, what what do you think the biggest downfall at a lot of brunch places are that don't seem to make the cut after a while? Biggest downfall to a brunch place, no unlimited coffee, period. (laughs) I totally agree with you there. you don't do unlimited coffee, I can't come. And you know what? Maybe that's your concept. That's very fair. I can't go. Because I need to have three cups of coffee, and I'll pay four bucks for those three cups. I'll do that. But I can't pay five bucks a cup. You know, it just irks me. I went to a restaurant in King West that... I think I know where you mean. I'm not going to say it. They, they, they poured the smallest coffees, but because they deemed it a very interesting brew and how they brewed it, they, you know, like, it's basically a half a cup pretty much an Americano with not a lot of water. And we talked to the server like, oh, can, can we have another one? She'd be like, yeah, that you know, it's just we, we charge. We're like, that's not a problem. It's kind of just like I barely had half a cup. I'm like so hungover. Like what, what's going on here? And then she kind of felt bad. And she, I guess she didn't want her our experience to affect her experience and so on and so forth. So she brought us our, our second round of coffees on the house. And I think that, that you're putting almost the servers in a weird position at that point. You know, it's not fair to expect people to do that. You have to, if you're going to have something like, that's not very common. I feel like unlimited coffee is more common than not. If you're not, if you're going to do limited coffee, you have to make sure people understand when they walk in. And at the same time, okay, there's a fun story to go along with your coffee. And it's, it's, you know, it's charming. Can you drink that story? Is that going to be, is that going to, you know, enhance your visit at brunch when you're hungover? Not a chance. Where's your coffee coming from? (laughs) Reunion Island. Cool. What's that? Uh, Reunion Island is um, so it's a fairly big size coffee uh, importer. They actually just opened up a cafe on Roncesvalles. I think it was six months ago. So they're they're huge. You probably had Reunion Island a lot of times. They have like thirty different types of coffee, and I think they just they buy from all over the place, and they have like they're kind of like a distributor. But uh, they're great stuff. Love it. 
What's staff meal usually like? Whatever you want. Uh, there's only a few items on the menu that you can't have, but if it's under 15 bucks, do Cheers. it. Yeah. And how many guys do you have usually in the, the kitchen at one point? Uh, we On an average day, it's between two and five staff members, plus me, Haley, and Matt. That's a tight ship. Yep. Yeah, we. It's there's not a lot of room. <laughs> now that you've become a kitchen manager of, of sorts, do you find that you've grown into that role? Do oh, you, uh, do you find that you're yelling a little bit more? Are you a little bit more stern? Like he's what? Always been like that. <laughs> so a born leader. Yes, I guess so. Yeah, always. Is it tough when your fiance and your brother are sometimes the one on the other end, on the other side of that? You know what? We, it, it it was tough. It was a lot worse when we first started. Oh my god, it was bad. But we've all grown to know how to deal with each other and and respect each other and that's the biggest thing is is we're all in the same boat you know we all work the same hours we all get the same pay we all no one gets a break no one we all do the same so no one can complain to the other about not doing it if we found that is the best way to to not build resentment is all be in the exact same boat that's amazing i mean yeah you have nobody on top of each other over each other like you know especially financially or or, or management wise and everybody seems to have a say here how how often you guys brainstorm oh it's 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 daily we're always talking about new ideas and new thoughts and it's just because we're there all day every day there's sometimes there's a lot of time to think about things and even you know we're all waiting for an order to be done or we're frying some chicken it takes 15 minutes you just do little sessions brainstorm here brainstorm there think about things so are you there every day except on mondays when you're closed (laughs) mondays we're i'm usually there um every other monday for about five hours so it's not too bad prep uh, prep. Just getting. Sometimes it's too. It's too busy on a Tuesday. You just need to get some stuff out of the way with no one in your way. Uh, but every other day, we're there about uh, fourteen hours. Wow. So, yeah. life of a chef. Yeah. How do you guys do it? Like, I mean, is you think there'll be a point where you're offloading those hours onto some other staff members? Uh, well, we have a little bit. We've each started taking a night off, so that's helping big time. Uh, just but one night a week, so it, it, that's a huge amount of, of uh, stress relief. But um, yeah, ideally one day we'll 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 scale back the hours, but um, not until we have to. Not until we. It's it, that's a big a big stress. I don't know what's a bigger stress: working those hours or having someone else work them, and you're not sure if they're doing it properly. Right, the but, anxiety. Yeah. So. So, how do you guys cut loose? Is there a day a week where you guys kind of Sunday nights when uh, service is done, you guys all go out? You know, is there ever an opportunity for all of you guys to you know take no. some stress out? No, come on. <laughs> on Sun- Sunday nights uh, is like you don't go, go for no- nori and bong in, in Korea town. You know, sing some karaoke and no, not so much. We're you know what we're a lot more we're pretty boring for chefs. We uh, we go home, we just relax, watch TV. Usually order some pizza. Just just have a really relaxing night, and uh, we actually have uh, we call it the empties fund. So it's a it's an envelope that all the empties money from all our beers go in, and then every few months, me, Matt, and uh, Haley and uh, Matthew's girlfriend will all go out for dinner. So we have a chance to to see each other in a very non working environment, and uh, <laughs> we don't have to pay the bill because it's all pretend empties money. So it's. That's what that, I, I mean. Every few months we cut loose. I guess. What was the last <laughs> restaurant you all went to? Uh, Biff's. 
Best Bistro. Best Bistro. Love it. Oliver Bonaccini family. Yep. All you guys really like your oysters. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was the uh, actually the deciding factor. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was a real pleasure having you guys. Um, I'm heading to Oyster Boy right now after this, after all that promotion, and talk about Oysters Biff Bistro, too. Buck a shuck for yeah. a place like that. You really can't beat uh, an, an Oliver Bonaccini restaurant with that kind of lead-in, right? Absolutely. Um, I also like their uh, horseradish-infused gin. Oh, and, I haven't yeah, had they that. have a horseradish infused gin, and they do a Caesar out of it too. Yeah, it's really, really good. Oh. So maybe um, when uh, I usually hit up that place on Winterlicious because you still get a really good um, price prefix, yeah. and uh, the Buckashuck is, is pretty yeah. much year round. They still do Buckashuck during Licious? I believe they oh, do. My goodness. I mean, I went there and had Buckashuck and did Winterlicious. <laughs> That's hardcore, man. I mean, they're probably pumping out thousands of, of oysters in an evening. Yeah. Yeah, I know when we went. Five hundred of them are. Here. Yeah. <laughs> is yeah. that going to be a wedding item? Is that going to be? Yeah. <laughs> I want to thank Haley Franklin and Stephen Howell of the White Brick Kitchen, six forty-one Bloor Street West. It's on the corner. You can't miss it. It's the one with all the white bricks. Thank you, Haley. Thank you, Stephen, for coming on to Speaking Duck. Thank you. Thank you. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. 